Five players on the floor function as one single unit. Team, 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 right? No one more important than the other. Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show. I am your host, Billy Powell. You can go to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, that's all one word, keepingthenostalgialive.podbean.com, and you can listen to, well, actually today's program is number 191, so you can listen to over 190 um, episodes of interviews with people associated with the great game of basketball from the state of Indiana. And with that being said, uh, let's go ahead and introduce our guest for today. Uh, he is a 2019 Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame inductee, uh, Coach Jerry Hoover, who uh, I've been told also uh, in doing our research is uh, uh, actually the father of high, Indiana High School Basketball Summer Camps, uh, if you want to have something tossed on there. But Coach Hoover, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, I know your time is precious, but uh, thanks for uh, sharing your uh, memories and stuff like that from the game of basketball from the state of Indiana. Well, I'm really, uh, I'm just looking forward to the next few minutes. Here. Coach, let, let everybody know about uh, uh, where where you are from in the state of Indiana, and um, tell us a little bit about your mom and dad. Were they athletic? And just, just, just give a little, little bit of a rundown on how you were introduced to the game of basketball or any sports, be that. Well, I was born in Monticello, Indiana. And uh, uh, my mother, of course, uh, girl, women couldn't play. She was born in 1906. And uh, so uh, women couldn't play at that time. So she was a tall lady, six foot tall. My father was a uh, German uh, uh, carpenter. He built houses. And uh, his father and grandfather before him did that. And uh, uh, he passed away. My father passed away when I was a freshman in high school. And if he had not passed away, I probably would never have gotten involved in basketball because he was a German and had certain ideas about life. And he thought that boys oughtn't to wear short pants and you can't play basketball without wearing short pants so uh after he passed away i was in a little community monticello um i was six five a sophomore and so the coaches uh just drove my mother beside herself to uh, let me play and so i did not play until i was a sophomore in high school and I was not a very good player. I only scored 36 points the first year I played. And uh, and then the second year I played, which was my junior year in school, I played on the junior varsity also, but, uh, you know, I had a decent year. And then uh, I played uh, as a senior on a decent team, uh, 16 and 9, I think. So uh, <clears throat> I played mostly around uh, in the CIC uh, in central Indiana. Did you have a basketball hoop at the house? I'm sorry, say that again. Did you have a basketball hoop hanging or in the um, driveway or at the house? Oh, yeah. We, um, you know, like every family in Indiana we had a basket and uh, uh, we had a we had a uh, barn that uh, uh, I hung a basket on the inside of the barn and as soon as we got the hay cleaned out uh, you know we would feed start feeding in the fall and we started at the basket end <laughs> so we could get the Hey, out of the way, and so we, the way it started worked was we started in playing just you know lay-ins, and then the farther the more the cattle ate, and the more we cleaned the barn out, well then the shots got a little bit longer as the year went along. Was basketball your only sport that you played, or did you play baseball, or did you do any other sports while you were in high school? 
Well, yeah, I did. I played football for a year, and I played tra- ran track for a couple of years. But um, uh, I was really a, I was a late maturing uh, person. I, I eventually ended up being six, seven and a half, and uh, uh, and I really didn't. I really wasn't mature until I got out of college. In in football back then was it was it true eleven man football or was it a a shortened game? No, it was it was uh, at Monticello played eleven man football. But but uh, when I coached at my first job was at Demont, and they had eight man football, and then there were six man football leagues. Uh, around Indiana uh, in the, uh, you know, in the 50s and 60s. You know, I've scratched my head occasionally and wondered what it was like playing that six- and eight-man football. Well, it was a wide-open game. The uh, the eight-man game was a little bit tighter, but the six-man game was just a, uh, it was a free-for-all. You know, the scores would be in the 70s because if you had anybody could throw it or anybody that could... Uh, uh, run with any ability whatsoever that you had the whole the whole field to uh, to run in, and so it was a a, a wide open game for the six man football, and then a little tighter for the eight game. You know, I was looking through some of the yearbooks doing my research to do uh, this interview, and uh, I saw that you had a little bit of uh, maybe a knack for uh, drama or for acting. I'm sorry, say that again. I said I was looking through uh, yearbooks doing some research to do this interviews, and I, I saw a couple pictures of you like in a drama club. Did you like to act, or uh, uh, did you have a little acting? No, uh, I, I, I don't. Yeah, you know, I don't remember that. I was not in. A, <laughs> I was not in the plays. I, I don't know. Uh, that may have been somebody else because I do not remember being in in. Um, you know the spring and fall plays at all. I'll have to uh, I'll have to send you this picture I have of you in a, a black bow tie with uh, <laughs> uh, with the uh, uh, yes. Um, so you know it it was totally different back uh, in your day of playing basketball. But what was there any kind of colleges asking you to come and play basketball for them, or did you have any other choices before becoming a walk on at uh, and becoming a Purdue Boilermaker? <clears throat> I did not, uh, because of, uh, you know, the fact that I was again, late maturing. I only weighed 175 pounds and was six foot seven. And, um, so I was very skinny and, um, Manchester offered me a scholarship and, uh, uh, I just kind of wanted to go to Purdue and, uh, there was a man by the name of Roscoe Frazier who lived in Monticello and there was, was an associate professor in ag at uh, Purdue. And he took me down there one afternoon and introduced me around. And uh, I just made up my mind I want to go to Purdue. So I went there and was fortunate enough to walk on and uh, play a couple of years or be on the team for a couple of years. And it was uh, frankly, I wouldn't trade it. It was one of the best experiences and turned out to be one of the most productive uh, decisions in my life. Now, we all know that Piggy Lambert is a, is a legend at uh, Purdue. Uh, did, were you, did you play under Piggy at all while you were at Purdue? Yeah, he was, a, he was the freshman coach. And he only, I was there in 1952, the fall of 1952. And uh, he was 64 years old. And then the next year, he was 65 years old. He coached that year, and then he quit. And they brought in a guy by the name of Paul Hoffman, uh, who had played in the pros and was a Purdue alumni. He came in and coached the first and came after that. But um, I value the, uh, the, you know, to be around Lambert uh, to this day. He was, uh, 
he was down at the end of it. He, you know, he wasn't, uh, he was just uh, taking care of the freshman team. And he would sit us down and tell us stories about his early days playing in haymows and garages and uh, different places. Uh, he, he, he played at uh, Crawfordsville High School and then played at uh, Wabash College. He also coached, did he also coach John Wooden? Oh, yeah, he coached Wooden. In fact, I only talked to Wooden one time. Uh, Doug Ogle, a coach at at, uh, Warsaw, who just this year retired, uh, used to set up uh, little visits where four or five coaches go out and visit with, uh, uh, be with Wooden for, uh, about eight hours, you know, go out to dinner with him the first night, and then the second second day we just sit in his apartment and talk about anything that we wanted to talk about, and and uh, then at five six o'clock in the afternoon catch a flight, leave the apartment and catch a flight back to Indiana, and so I finally uh, begged Odell and begged Odell, and he finally. Uh, consented to take me out there and so I got a chance to talk to Wooden and <clears throat> he told me that Lambert was the second most influential man in his life he said that uh, his father was the most influential but that Lambert was the uh, most influential man in his life and he, he told me something that uh, I didn't I, I couldn't believe, but uh, it, it is a fact that Lambert had a Ph.D. in chemistry and that he taught classes at Purdue because uh, when he went to Purdue, uh, they didn't have, they didn't pay the coach anything. And so in order to make a living, he had to have credentials to teach some subject at Purdue and he was a he had a PhD in uh, chemistry and I I uh, you know I asked Wooden about that again he said he had a PhD in chemistry and I said well you know coach that's really unusual isn't it and Wooden said they all did in other words he was talking about all of the Big Ten coaches at that time uh, had uh, credentials to teach because the coaching salary just wasn't but there. When when chatting with Coach Wooden, was there, man? I mean, this is probably a little bit early in his career. But did you did you know that Coach Wooden was going to, you know, did you think he had what it took to do what he, you know, did? Because no one is ever going to do what he did in college basketball. Well, I think that you know it's a very interesting. I've 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 read about him, of course, and. And uh, he was at Purdue, and uh, then his first job was at, and I can't remember the name of the town, but it was in Kentucky, and he was football and basketball coach. And the first day of football practice, he got into it with a senior on the team, I just beat the living daylights out of it. They just got into a, a just a regular fist fight. And so they fired Wooden. After one day, they fired Wooden as a football coach, but they kept him as basketball coach. Then when the basketball season rolled around, and, and I find this interesting, uh, Bob DeMoss, who was a quarterback at Purdue and also a Purdue football coach for two or three years told me this personally. He said that see, he was from this little town in Kentucky and he said that that when the basketball season started that wouldn't the, the boys, a lot of boys that played football so they were determined that they were going to show Wooden up. And so Wooden asked him for the ball, 
And he said, now take it away from me. And uh, there was five of them, of course, and they tried to take the ball away from him. They just went in and scored on him. And he said, give me the ball again. And uh, uh, he did the same thing again, scored on him. Five of them was one against five and wouldn't score. And so DeMoss said that he didn't see this, but his brother was there and participated in it. And he said that after that, Wooden didn't have any trouble with uh, uh, discipline because, you know, they respected him because of his ability and his talent. Coach, what was it like playing in the Big Ten? Well, for, you know, me, I was, uh, my dad died. We had a 61-acre farm. And uh, my mother didn't remarry. She she took care of my brother. And uh, so, you know, we didn't have any money. And to... Uh, I didn't. I didn't make all of you know the walk-ons. Don't go to on all of the road trips, but I got a chance to go to Philadelphia and and uh, play. Or be, we played Rutgers, and then we played Penn in the Palestra. And uh, uh, Coach Ray Eddy was the head coach, and he made us go see the Liberty Bell, and then. Uh, he made us go when we were in New York. We went and looked at the Statue of Liberty, and and I saw different things that uh, you know a farm boy would never been out of Monticello. It was it was pretty awe inspiring for me. At what point was it in college or high school, or what point did you think you know I think I would like to teach and coach this game? Well, I went to the Army. I took one of the best things that I did in my life was to join ROTC at Purdue. And Roscoe Fraser, we were, we were walking by the Armory, and Roscoe Fraser said, you want to join this because you'll need the $30 a month. And so I joined ROTC, and I was the first person in my family on either side that had had gone to school, gone to uh, college, and then I certainly was the first one on either side of my family that had been in the Army, been in the military. So I didn't know anything about it. And uh, uh, I joined the the military. I I mean, I joined ROTC. So... So when I graduated from Purdue, I had to go on active duty. I went on, I went on active duty. When I came home from active duty, I farmed for three years. I had a farm, uh, 600-acre farm at Oxford, Indiana. And uh, I was an absolute failure at it. All I cared about was basketball. I refereed. I was running around refereeing, and and um, I was an absolute failure. I wasn't married, and uh, I, I I didn't I just didn't like it, and it was not a fit for me. So I went back to Purdue and got the courses so I could teach and coach. Uh, after I'd been in the military, so I was about twenty-seven when I started coaching. And you were in the National Guard for, what, 32 years as a brigade commander? Yeah, I was, a, yeah, I was, uh, I really liked that. I really liked, uh, from the very beginning, I remember the first day we went out behind the armory, and uh, that little bitty, uh, very small field there, and there was 200 cadets out there, cadets out there. <laughs> and uh, uh, so we, they tied us up in the squads, and we, um, <clears throat> I'm going to have to cut my throat here just a minute. Okay. So anyway, we were, we, you know, I had a, I had a squad, 
And uh, there was about 20 squads out there, and uh, we we marched around, and the, the idea was to keep your squad from running into another squad. <laughs> and uh, to me, it was just kind of like herding hogs back on the farm, and so I did that. And when we got down, my, uh, the, the old sergeant that was in charge, he said, uh, uh, Hoover, you did the best job anybody here today. And he said, you get to march them back into armory. Well, that was the first time anybody in the world ever said I did anything right. And so I started, I got them back in the armory, and it made me feel good. And then, of course, when we went to the ranges, you know, I could shoot pretty good because we had rifles around the house and so forth. And, and so it just I kind of, I liked it. And then I got uh, in the, uh, when I went on active duty, I was at Aberdeen Proving Ground, and uh, frankly, all I did was play on the post-basketball team because there wasn't any uh, national emergency. And uh, in the summer, so in the winter, I played on the post team, and we played all over the country. And then uh, uh, in the in the summer, I took uh, enlisted folks to see the Yankees. I took them to Yankee Stadium, Baltimore, and Washington uh, on a bus, and uh, you know was uh, the uh, lieutenant in charge. And then uh, take them in to watch a ball game, and then come back home. And that's what I did when I was in the military. So I didn't. I didn't really have any experience. Uh, in infantry. I was in the Ordnance Corps. And when I got back to Monticello, I still had uh, a lot of time to put in either in the Reserves or the National Guard. And uh, one one day a guy came up that I graduated with in high school. He came out to my farm and he said, uh, we understand you got a commission that you're an officer. And I said, yeah. And uh, he said, we need lieutenant at the Monticello National Guard. And so I went in there, and it was infantry unit. I got involved in it, and I liked it. And so I stayed with it. It was a, a really a good option for me because Loretta, my wife, was always a stay-at-home mom. She did not work. And so, you know, it supplemented, the, the National Guard supplemented my income. And uh, and then it also uh, gave me an opportunity to learn to stand and face, talk to a group, and uh, to be in command. And uh, that's what a teacher does. That's what a coach does. So the two work very well together. And and how do you come about? How do you get your first coaching job? Well, that's pretty interesting. I, I, Ray Eddy was a head coach of Purdue, and uh, so when he heard that I was back at Purdue, he called me in the office and he said, uh, "He said uh, when you get ready, he said when you get close to a job." He said, give me a call, let me know, and he said, I'll get the job for you. And then he added, he said, now, I don't want you coming in here and wanting me to call every whipstitch. He said, you'll know when you are close to a job. And he said, when you're close to a job, you call me and I'll get the job for you. So uh, I interviewed at DeMont, it was a, a trustee system. Charlie Groot was a trustee. It's a Hollander community, uh, uh, all Reformed churches, and they're all Dutch. And so he was a Dutch, and so I interviewed, and uh, uh, the principal wanted his friend to get the job from Illinois. And uh, so anyway... Charlie Groot went into the little filling station they had at this small community, DeMont, and they said, Charlie, you're going to be our coach. And uh, he said, Jerry Hoover. 
And, of course, they said, well, who's that? <laughs> and uh, Charlie Cruz said, well, I don't know. But Ray Eddy said he was good enough to coach at DeMont, and by God, that's going to be our coach. <laughs> so that's where I got the job. And how long were you there? I was there three years. And so, so what's it? Never. Go ahead. They, Demont had never. Demont had never won a sectional, and uh, they've been. They they had, you know, Hollanders. They, everybody in the place was six six, and they had six eights, and and occasionally a six nine and a six ten. And they were tall, uh, slow-maturing uh, people, and they had gone 64 years. They'd been, they had not won a sectional. And uh, uh, we, I was fortunate enough to, to the first year, have the same, I had a team, and I think we won 12 and lost 11 or something like that, and we got beat. Uh, and at uh, Rensselaer at St. Hill Fieldhouse. And uh, it was unbelievable. We got in the final game, and we played Rensselaer, and they, the, the Rensselaer people were uh, German-Dutch. They were, I mean, German Catholics a lot, uh, German Catholics, and they didn't like the Dutch. And so they... they they, their cheers, they had cheers that they, they yell, go home Dutch, go home Dutchman, go home Dutchman. And then they also said, stomp those tulips, stomp those tulips. And the, the, the Dutch themselves are, are uh, really uh, quiet people. They don't get riled up very much. And so they, that's the way they beat them. But I had Everybody back except one kid the second year. And uh, we went in there and uh, had about the same team and uh, really got them. They were, I, I, got, well, I did what Knight said, you know, I want them more afraid of me and I want them afraid of, the, afraid of Wisconsin. And so I really got on them and uh, we won a sectional and uh, that, that really helped me a lot because we didn't win another sectional. I didn't win another sectional for a lot of years, but it got me jobs because uh, taking a loser made a winner and then won the sectional. And you did that with a lot of uh, uh, basketball programs, be it both girls yeah, or did boys. It. That's kind of the niche that I, that's kind of the niche that I fell into. I, uh, uh, I just went from one school to another that was losing and uh, and made winners and then, uh, you know, was able to go to another place. And at that time, the 60s and the 70s, uh, there were, uh, if, if the basketball team wasn't doing well, it was an embarrassment to the community, it was an embarrassment to the administration, it was a certain an embarrassment to the school board. And so I found out that I, you know, because I could do that, that I could uh, uh, get more money, turn a program around, and then it just added fuel to the fire. And so then I can go to the next school and demand more money. And I needed the money because, again, Loretta didn't work. Now, now, what was it like after winning the sectional there at your first job, and and you're a young coach? You're a young coach. What do you do? Do opportunities find you, or do you find opportunities uh, uh, once you started, you know, no, getting into no. coaching? No, uh, the first job, <clears throat> it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable because uh, you know, anytime you're, anytime you go to a community, you've got people that believe in you and then you've got detractors. And so my first job, there were people who didn't believe in me, but once we won the sectional, they all went away. They all either jumped on the bandwagon or they disappeared. And so, uh, I stayed there one more year and, uh, it was it was a very enjoyable experience. I just 
uh, I was able to do, you know, I was in, we, we won 18 the next year, and um, it was just a good experience. And then I, <clears throat> I applied for jobs. I always, uh, I always applied for jobs. And I, I never got a job. I got, I'm trying to think. I don't think I got any jobs because they came looking for me. I just would apply for the job and then I'd get an interview and then uh, I'd get the job. But, uh, so I, I uh, interviewed and got the, my second job was at Salem. And uh, I really liked that town, LaRoad. It was a nice town. They, they had good churches. It was... Um, uh, quiet, uh, just a wonderful place to raise children and uh, everything, but they did not have talent. And I just, I just felt like we got a, we got eleven and ten, eleven and ten team the second year, and I had a lot of them coming back, but I just decided that. Uh, to be best for me to look around and get a job. And so I went to North Judson, and I stayed at North Judson for five years. And uh, we had very, very good teams. We played. Uh, I was athletic director and basketball coach, and we had really good teams. We played three South Bend teams. We played Michigan City. We played East Chicago. We played everybody. And, uh, you know, we're winning 14 a year, 15 a year. And uh, I probably did my best, my best work at North Judson. And, uh, and then I went to Lake Central and uh, had good teams there. Finally got, they were, they, uh, we had a team that was 14 and 9, I think, last year I was there. But we had players coming and, was looking pretty good, and uh, I, had a, I went to Ben Davis, and uh, Ben Davis, of course, had a, an exceptional group of sophomores, and we I played them and uh, for three years, and uh, uh, we, we won won a sectional there, and got beat got beat in a terrible call in the final game of the regional. And uh, frankly, I was fired at Ben Davis because uh, I, I was kind of a square peg in a round hole. They told me they when I went there, they had never had a Division One player. And they were the biggest school in Indiana at that time. And they had never had an Indiana All-Star. And they had only won two sectionals. And so uh, I did what I had to do. We had seven Division One players uh, come out of the place in three years, and including Whitman and uh, Randy Whitman, who later played in the NBA. But uh, it just wasn't a fit because uh, 80-some percent of the teachers at Ben Davis and all of the administration at Ben Davis were from Ben Davis. And so what we did there to turn the program around and start producing uh, players that could uh, play at the next level, it, it ruffled a lot of feathers, and it wasn't politically the smart thing to do. So uh, after that, I went back to North, to uh, Lake Central for a couple of years uh, in administration. I didn't like that, and then I went to went on active duty for a while with the guard, and then I ended up in Indiana State with Dave Shellhouse, an assistant basketball coach. Uh, tell and, us, uh, tell, tell us about the relationship that you have with Coach Shellhouse. Well, I didn't know him at Purdue. I did not know him at Purdue, but one night, uh, on the night that they drew the sectional, well, the day, the night after they drew the sectional in Brookston, Indiana, 
they had a, a gizzard and uh, gizzard and liver fry, chicken <laughs> gizzard and liver, and there'd be about oh I don't know 100 coaches and referees show up. They did it at a I think it was a legion there in Brookston, but anyway, I was I was uh, I was eating gizzards because I like them and. I was hungry, and I was eating gizzard, and this guy was right across from me, and he was eating about as fast as I could. And finally, uh, I asked him who he was. He told me his day show house. So we got, you know, we knew one another a little bit that night, and then I was going to Purdue in the summer to get master's degree, and I ran on train in the summer, and he said, hey, he said, uh, my wife needs a job. I just got married and my wife needs a job and he said uh if you hear of any jobs she's an elementary teacher well let's you know we'd appreciate you keeping us in mind so i went and talked to my superintendent and north Judson is an hour's drive from west Lafayette. so i really didn't think that they would end up in north Judson. i thought they would end up you know like a maybe West Central or uh, North White or Brookston, someplace closer to Lafayette. But the superintendent said, well, you suppose he'd come here? And I said, well, I don't know. I'll talk to him. He said, well, if he'll come here, we'll hire his wife. And so I talked to him, and, and so they lived in North Judson for, I think, three years. Wow. And... Of course, just having him around, he didn't coach because he was coaching at Purdue. But just having him around was a tremendous asset to our program. Then he went on and, and got into the college game at, um, boy, well, first he went to North Dakota State, and then he got the head job at Moorhead State. And so, uh, because we were friends and knew one another, I sent him a bunch of players. I sent him four players that were good enough to start for him for uh, two or three years. And uh, so we became friends. So then when he got the Indiana State job, well, then he asked me if I'd be assistant. I, did, I wanted to. So I was assistant coach for him for three years at Indiana State. Now, at this point, <laughs> I, I, I like to add a little entertainment to my shows. At this point, I've been told that I don't know if at this point in your career, can you tell us a story about Victor and the Bear? Yeah. Uh, I was at, I was at uh, Lake Central. That, that, I left North Church and went to Lake Central. I was athletic director and basketball coach. And uh, I had, uh, when I went there, I told them what I told every school board. I said, we're going to fill this gym up. And I, I, to this day, I think there's, you know, you've got to fill a gym. Uh, they, uh, they've got these, Indiana's unique in the fact that the taxpayers pay for all these seats. And then uh, you go to a place and they're, they're, they're not filling them. And it just, for some reason, it just seemed to me to be the wrong thing to do. So I told the guys at North, when I interviewed for the job, I said, we'll fill this place. And uh, so <laughs> uh, I was teaching a course in economics and the first period of the day. And so I went up and I were teaching economics and it was football season. And uh, so I said, okay, how do we move this demand curve from, uh, let's, let's move this demand curve to the, to the right. How do we do that? And kids are very, kids have a very inventive mind. And so, you know, there was, a, they had a hundred different ways that they thought they could get more, see, get more people to come to a football game. But right at the end of the period, a guy said, a kid said, get a dancing bear. 
And I don't know why that connection <laughs> went, but I, I thought to myself, you know, hell, what about a wrestling bear? <laughs> so I went downstairs and uh, went to my office, went to my office, and of course, we're right up there next to Chicago. Lake Central's right next to Chicago. So I called up a theatrical agent and I said, hey, is, is there anything such as a, a wrestling bear? And he said, yeah, there's one. He said, guy named a Tuffy Truesdale, Cincinnati, Ohio. So I called this guy up and uh, I told him that I was at a real small school. We had the very low budgets and blah, 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 you know, and trying to get him beat down on price. And so he said, well, coach, he said, you're too late this year. He said, we're booked for the whole year. But he said, uh, uh, we'll, he said, we, we call me early next year. And he said, we'll see what we can do. So I called him early the next year and, uh, he was going to be in Chicago on a Saturday night. And so we got this damn bear to come for $250, you know, which is unbelievable price. And so the, the sports writers in Lake County, I had a great relationship with them in Lake and Porter County, Gary Post Tribune and the uh, Hammond Times. And so all week long, they're putting in the paper that, uh, Lake Central's got a six-five. They got a new freshman moved in. He's six-five, five hundred sixty-five pounds, and six foot five. And they said we don't know about his academic credentials, but he certainly is a physical specimen. They talked about Victor the Wrestling Bear. So, uh, sure enough, on Saturday this guy showed up, and they they hauled him around in a hearse. In a in a Cadillac hearse, <laughs> and they they brought him in there to the field house back that uh, back the uh, hearse up to the uh, in in the field house, and then we had uh, two thousand kids at that time and at Lake Central, and they were about equally divided between uh, they called them the raw the, uh, raws, which were the you know, the college prep guys and so forth. And then the greasers, they were the uh, industrial arts guys. And then the burnouts were the guys who smoking dope and so forth. So, <laughs> so you couldn't get that place quiet. You couldn't get those three groups quiet if you, if you, there's no way. And so this Tuffy Tuesdale, I said, uh, what do you want me to tell them? You know, and he said, uh, he said, just tell them that we've got a wild animal here, and unless they are absolutely quiet, we cannot guarantee their safety. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I said that, and everybody got real quiet. First time I had 2,000 <coughs> kids was quiet in that school because, you know, everybody thinking, uh, that their safety was in trouble. So, so uh, uh, they brought him out, and you know the bear. He was uh, uh, they had a red stool, and uh, he saw that red stool. And he went right over there and jumped on that red stool, and they gave him a coke, and uh, the biggest coke that you can think of, they gave it to him, and he grabbed it, and he chugged that Coke <laughs> in about five seconds. And uh, then uh, uh, they they brought some saltwater taffy out to get a picture with the cheerleaders, and so a cheerleader held her hand out and had that saltwater taffy in her hand, and the bear's tongue, a bear's tongue is about twice as long as his head, and that tongue come out and wrapped around her hand to get that saltwater tap. And, of course, uh, 2,000 kids thought that they bear eat her hand. So they're all screaming and hollering. And, and so then Tuffy, he talked about, he, uh, he talked a little bit about uh, Victor 
and um, uh, how he found him. He found him in northern Saskatchewan in a, a camp up there, and his mother died, and he nursed him and brought him back. And he talked about how how often a bear eats and this, that, and the other. And so finally then he said, uh, well, he said, uh, Victor's got to get his rest, so they, t- they threw him in the back of that hearse and, and out through the door they went at Lake Central. Well, Kelly Camara, I don't know if you know that name, but she played at Purdue, and uh, she was on the national championship team at Purdue, and her father was a hell of an athlete, and he played at Indiana State. He was about 5'10", 210, and could bench 400, 450. He's a horse. And he was PE teacher at, at Lake Central. So, and he ran around and he had a, a paddle and he had a leather thong through the handle and he just ran around the school with a paddle. And he was, he was also a wrestling coach. So he comes out, he's going to wrestle a bear, see? And the kids hated him. <laughs> the kids hated him because they couldn't do anything about him. If they were one minute late for class, his answer was bend over, boom. And he, he hit him with that paddle. <laughs> and if they, they didn't shower, you know, bend over, boom. And, oh, no uniform today, bend over, boom. <laughs> and there wasn't a thing they could do about it because he was such a horse. So they hated him. And, and, uh, as a wrestling coach, the worst thing that could, he had good wrestling teams, and the worst thing that happened was if he got uh, dissatisfied with the way you were wrestling, he'd just say, well, you got to wrestle me tonight. And then he'd just pinch their little heads off, see? So, so everybody in the school, everybody in the school was upset with him. And so he comes out there, and I said, and the opponent for Victor tonight, will be our own wrestling coach, Coach Bob Kamara. <laughs> There's 2,000 of them going, boo, boo, <laughs> you know. So, they, so, so then, and we didn't rehearse this. I just said, well, Coach, what do you think your opponent for tonight? And Kamara said, he's drinking Cokes. He's out of shape. I'm going to kick his ass, <laughs> you know. Just like that. <laughs> so I said, well, if you want to get a ticket for tonight's game, get your fannies over there and buy them. And so we sold about six to 800 tickets in about 15 minutes. Buses were late. Everything was screwed up, you know. And everybody's calling me, raising hell principals and superintendents and so forth. But I said, hey, you told me you wanted to fill this place, and we're going to fill her tonight. So... <laughs> So when the bears came in, long story short, Camara wrestled the bear, and see a bear, you know, the, the, you can't beat a bear because first of all, you can't pin him because his shoulders are, you know, how their shoulders are. Right. And then you got five hundred sixty pounds against two hundred twenty pounds, and all they do is they just put the bear where you don't want to wrestle. You'd rather be petted by little kids in the front row. But anyway, the toughest get behind him and slap him on the head and pinch his ears and so forth. And finally, the, the, the bear, okay, I'll wrestle one more time. So then all he does is just put the guy in a bear hug and fall on him, and it's over. Well, Camara, when Camara wrestled the bear... What Camara did, instead of instead of engaging him in a hug, Camara stepped back. When the bear acted like he wanted to hug him, Camara stepped back, and he forearm shivered that bear right under the chin, hit him as hard as he could hit him, and the bear went backwards and over appetite. And Camara jumped right on top of him and just beat the living daylights out of him. <laughs> so... So, so the the crowd, you know, they were so happy that Camaro was going to get his ass kicked, and then all at once, 
it was like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, he's Camara's going to be to better. And, and so it just went silent. But then the bear figured out, he, he figured out that, you know, what was going on, he grabbed Kamara and he flipped him over like a rag doll and sat on him. And that was it. And the place went crazy. place absolutely went crazy. I've never, I've never been in any gym. Well, I was in one at, uh, at uh, Illinois State one night, but I've never heard a gym get that loud. And just, you know, it was just, so that's the story of the wrestling there. <laughs> now, take us back up to Indiana State University. This was your first uh, coaching stint at a uh, university. What was it like? Did you enjoy Terre Haute? And I say that laughingly because I went to Indiana State Oh, university. yeah, yeah, because, hey, the college game, I wish I'd have got into it or could have figured out a way to get into it earlier because it's, it's, it's pure. Because all you do all day long is just uh, it's just basketball. You don't have to teach any classes. You don't have to worry about anything else. That just uh, is just coach. And and Shellhouse was a great guy to work for. He uh, he got all of us together and he said, "Look, there's four. You know, you got a staff of four, him and three assistants." And he said, "Look, we're not going to make this as tough." He said, we got, a, we got uh, uh, I forget whether it was 12 or 14 scholarships at that time, but he said, we got to get four players in here every year. And he said, if, if, if we, the four people here, can't figure out four players that come to play at Indiana State without a whole bunch of rigmarole, he said, then we ought to all be fired. So basically... We didn't, you know, spend time uh, sending out postcards and and uh, mass mailings and all that stuff that a lot of people do and phone calls, blind phone calls. We just identified, oh, 20 people every year that could play at Indiana State, and we went after them, and each one of us had four of them and five of them that we, we worked on, and uh, we, we recruited four or five people, and and uh, that could play at Indiana State and, and uh, then put them in a uniform and, and uh, get them playing. And uh, Shellhouse was a good coach. He, he was a good coach. He, he had certain attributes that are, that are really good, but he was an alcoholic. And uh, so eventually he got fired, and then all of us got fired because uh, he was an alcoholic. Now, to fast forward, he hasn't had a drink in 39 years. Right. He went to AA, got involved with AA, and uh, he hasn't had a hasn't had a drink in uh, 39 years. And uh, so, you know, it was a great it was a great time for me because all you did was just basketball. You look at films and look at look at players and. And uh, it just was a good time for me. And with the coaching change, where do you head out to after Indiana State University? Well, we really had trouble. I, I thought I, the, I interviewed at Lafayette Jeff. I interviewed at, I really wanted the South Bend Clay job. And uh, because they, I've always thought the South Bend Clay, uh, Hammond Morton, uh, there are certain schools around the state of Indiana that have a good mix of, uh, of uh, a good ethnic mix. You know, like South Bend Clay had black kids, they had Polish kids, they had uh, 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 poor kids, they had real, they had rich kids, and it's it's just a a nice. Uh, uh, situation to put a team together. I couldn't get that. Uh, I didn't get that job, and I, I interviewed every place I could, and I thought, you know, uh, Don me is the one going to get hired. And I think the reason was that 
people associated him. I knew that Dave was drinking, and I think everybody, you know, kind of went shied away because they uh, uh, would think that I would be drinking too, and so forth. So, so I came home one night, and uh, uh, Loretta was sitting there, and I said, "You know, I don't know what we're going to do next year." I said, "I don't think I'm going to get a job," and. Uh, she said, and she changed my life right there. She said, well, would you take a small school? And I said, no. I busted my ass to get to Ben Davis and Lake Central. And, you know, I thought that Lafayette, Jeff, uh, South Bay, Clayton, New Albany, some of the places that I was interviewing, I was, I was perfectly qualified to coach there, but I couldn't get the job. And she said, well, she said, when you were talking to me about getting married and being a coach's wife, you didn't mention the size of school. You told me that you wanted to help kids. <laughs> well, see, she had me. <laughs> and it made me mad. <laughs> and so I said, so I said, well, get that book in here. So we got the, we got the book in there. And the worst job in Indiana was Monrovia. They had not won in 20, they had not had a winning season in 20 years. And they graduated, they'd won one and lost 20 the year before. And they graduated the three top scorers. And so I called the guy up, I called the superintendent up and I said, Hey, is that job still open? He said, yes, it is. And I said, told him who I was. And he said, is this Jerry Hoover that was in it at uh, Ben Davis? And I said, yes. He said, what in the hell would you want to come here for? <laughs> he said, this is terrible, Jerry. And I said, well, I'm not going to blow smoke. I said, I can't get a job. And uh, I thought if I can't get the best job in Indiana, I'll just take the worst one. <laughs> so, so he... I had to go there four times to get the job because I know what they thought. They thought I'd jump, you know, I'd, I'd sign a contract and if a job came open in August, I'd take it. But I made up my mind I was going to stay there or at least do it for one year. And, and uh, I went there and that, that's the only place that I went that we didn't get actually, actually have a winning season uh I didn't turn it around to get a winning season. We we won eight, I think, eight or nine, but we lost the first four, and then we I got I had them backed up in a two-three zone, and uh, I had a guy by the name of Watson that could shoot. He later played at DePaul, at DePaul, and at, at uh, Greencastle, and then the rest of them I just made them spot shoot. If they got off of that spot, you know, uh, there were dire circumstances. So, so we, we just played real slow and waited and get a spot, knock it down, go down, get in two, three, and fly in. So, then of all things, we were in a sectional with Bloomington. They were number one in the state. I'll be gosh darn if we didn't blow through them in a sectional. Of course, we got beat. But uh, 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 then my, my, my brother got killed in a highway accident, and so I moved to Kankakee Valley. I only stayed there one year, but I, I loved those kids, and I loved the community. And uh, we had, they offered me a four-year contract, which was unheard of in those days. They offered me a four-year contract to stay there, but I just... I went ahead and went to Kankakee Valley, which was closer to where my mother was living, and I could be closer to her. Coach Hoover, I have a question for you. We are already one hour into a show. I was told by several people that we would tr we would probably have to do multiple parts. Can we do a part two? More than I know sure. coaching. And, of course, I taught government for 40 years. And... Um, I think that uh, the teaching, there's, 
in, in certainly teaching history, uh, economics, uh, government, social studies courses that there's, there's three things that should take place. Uh, first of all, Jesus was a great teacher because he, he told stories, parables. That's what, that's how he did it. Right. And then Socrates asked questions, the Socratic method. And then the third thing is you've got to keep it light. You've got to be able to, the stories themselves have got to be, have a little bit of humor in them. Questions have to have humor because if you don't, the, the people learn better when they've got a smile on their face than they do if they're about half asleep in some trance, you know? Correct. And so I, I, I've always, I've always, I enjoy stories and I, I uh, am always looking for interesting people, you know, to tell me stories. And of course, the job I've been in, it's, it's been twofold. I, if I was in a, a better job, I would have been, I would have ran into more interesting people. But being a coach in Indiana, small towns, you run into, you, you run into a few interesting people. And so they tell you interesting stories, and so I just take it from there. <laughs> and everything I read, so, I'm the poster boy for the fire. <laughs> They're looking for me. So, you know. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, so, so 8 o'clock uh, or 9 o'clock your time again uh, uh, next Monday morning. 9 o'clock next Monday. That'll be fine. Thank you, All Coach right. Hoover. I appreciate it. Thank you.